1: We thank you for joining
0: us this evening. The United States' immediate neighbor to the south is the independent country of Mexico. Before there was a United States, Mexico existed and until 1948 included the land mass which is located between California and Texas. As a result of the Mexican-American War, this territory became a part of the United States and left Mexico with its present territorial configuration. Throughout most of our modern history, Mexico and the United States have engaged in cordial and supportive relations which have encouraged unrestricted interaction between citizens of the two nations. Of late, tensions between the two countries have increased in the face of hostile reactions by some Americans to the presence of large numbers of Mexicans who presently reside and work in the United States. These tensions have reached a boiling point with Donald Trump's bombastic proclamations to build a wall between the nations and to compel Mexico to pay for it. It is estimated that the Mexican population that resides within the United States is approximately 10% of that country's estimated 126 million citizens. This population includes a large number of those with advanced degrees who live and work within this country. The Mexican government operates 54 official consulates in the United States, with the one being located right here in Raleigh-Durham. Similarly, the United States operates 19 consulates in Mexico. Joining us this evening to discuss the Mexican consulate in this area is its official consul general, Remedio Gomez-Arno. She has served in that capacity since June 2016, and is now regrettably leaving the area to become the council general in San Francisco. Dr. Gomez possesses a master's and a PhD in international relations and has a long history of experience in international affairs. Also joining us for this discussion is Joseph Garcia, a third year student at the North Carolina Central University School of Law. So, to both of you, welcome to uh, to our show.
2: Thank you. It's yeah. our pleasure. Yeah, thank, thank you, you
0: thank for joining you. us for this uh, this uh, this discussion. Let me just start out uh, with uh, Dr. Gomez. You want me to call it Dr. Gomez? Council, or Council. Council, yeah, yeah. Council yeah. Gomez. All yeah. right. Um, can you talk to us a little bit about the uh, the Mexican consulate in uh, in Raleigh and what it is that uh, that it does and the kind of work? That uh, you do, or that you have been doing as its leader.
2: Yes, of course. Well, first of all, I would like to say that uh, we have 50, 50 consulates in the United States, uh, and if we count Canada, then we have six more there. But here it's it's fifty, okay. and we are one of those fifty. It doesn't mean that there is one per state uh, in in America. Uh, Because, for example, in California, there are 10 consulates, in Texas, there are 11. And here, we have one covering two states, North Carolina and South Carolina. Mm. And in these both states, we have around 700,000 people of Mexican origin, which includes people born in Mexico, but also people born in the United States of uh, Mexican descent. Around half of those were born in Mexico. Now, what do we do at the consulate? We provide many services. Probably uh, the Mexican consulates are uh, the consulates among all uh, consulates from the rest of the world that provide more services to the community just because uh, we've been developing them in order to help uh, our community to better integrate into the life of the United States because here's where uh, most of those Mexicans that live abroad reside. So, we don't only provide documentational services, like it's what usually the people know what the consulates do, that means uh, we issue passports, but we also um, register the people that live abroad, and as a proof that they come to the consulate to register, we provide them what we call the matricula consular, because matricula means in Spanish, registration of someone. And it's very important because whenever a Mexican residing, like in the Carolinas, uh, has an accident, is unconscious, or passes away, then thanks to that registration, we have a database with the emergency contact information for the people, and that has helped to locate many people and has helped to locate many relatives. Because of all of a sudden, someone, I mean, it's, run over by a car, dies, and how can we find the relatives that are in Mexico? So thanks to the matricula consular, we can find those people. So basically, those are the documents that we issue, but it's also very important that children of Mexicans that are born uh, in other countries, like here in the United States, they also are entitled to have the Mexican nationality. So they come to the consulate to get that Mexican uh, uh, birth certificate. Uh, That's only in the part of the documentation, but we also issue powers of attorney, for example. Uh, Many people that are living here, and then they have legal issues in Mexico, like what? Like Mm. uh, buying, selling property, like registering children that are born there, because parents go there, and sometimes the spouse uh, lives there. She gets pregnant, the children born, and then... Uh, thanks to the powers of attorney, they can register under their name and mm-hmm. so on, uh, other legal issues, open closing back accounts. Then very important to our uh, services is to provide them legal assistance. Any person living abroad, the most vulnerable moment it's whenever they have to face legal issues, mainly or mm-hmm. uh, law enforcement authorities. Mm-hmm. So that's a very important part of us. We provide legal assistance in different areas, not only on migration, but also on labor, on criminal and civil matters. And then we have many community programs, mainly devoted to education and health. And then, of course, we organize cultural events, and uh, we deal with the community through uh, uh, the relationship with the media, like here, that we have Consul Cecilia with us.
0: Now, you, you talk about the, uh, uh, the children mm-hmm. of people who immigrate into the uh, United States, and they're born here, mm-hmm. uh, and they become dual citizens, I, I guess. Yeah, I if they
2: are registered also in, uh, at the Mexican consulate mm-hmm. or in Mexico, yeah. They, uh, they are entitled. Mm-hmm. Parents decide whether they want to register them, or the children themselves, when they become uh, older enough, they can come and register themselves, just showing proof that their parents were Mexicans.
0: one of them. now what what is the uh, value uh, and I guess the benefits of being a dual citizen?
2: Well, you can be a dual or uh, tri or I mean I mean tri, tri- uh, national. The great benefit is whatever you are in any of those countries, you have all the rights like any other citizen. That's the great benefit. So, if you are someone that were born here, but uh, your parents were from Mexico and you are Mexican national, when you travel to Mexico, you don't need to pay as a foreigner in order to enter there. Mm-hmm. So you can enter the Mexican territory with your Mexican passport, and you will be entitled to all rights in Mexico. Like, for example, to buy real estate any part of the country if you're a foreigner there are some limitations to buy real estate Mm -hmm. uh all along the coast or all along the border inside mexico there are no restrictions for any foreigner but in those cases yes so for example so you are treated like a mexican national there but when you are here you have all the rights also as an American citizen. So I think that's very convenient. Mm-hmm. I'd love to have that, but I don't. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but in terms of the uh, the ability to uh, uh, go back and forth between the United States and, and Mexico, uh, engage in uh, affairs across the international line, then it is more beneficial uh, that you have the uh, dual uh, uh, citizenship. Yes, you know? yes. All right. Now, for those who choose not to mm-hmm. uh, uh, exercise the dual uh, citizenship route and they are in this country. How does the uh, the, the, the consulate or the government uh, engage with them or are in a position to aid them uh, when they uh, encounter problems and issues?
2: Well, if it's only an American citizen, we don't get into that because mm-hmm. they don't need. I mean the purpose of a consul or a consulate, uh, to provide legal assistance to a national that is living abroad is precisely because the national doesn't know the laws, but then I mean the institution of the consuls began from the Greek time, and that was because they needed someone to represent them. They thought that not necessarily the their rights would be respected just because they were foreigners. So that's the history of, the, that's the origin of a consul. So we are here in order to be sure that when one of our Mexican nationals goes to, through a legal process, the due process of law is followed. Mm-hmm. That's it. Okay. But if you are an American citizen, what you have at your disposal many instruments mm-hmm. uh, to assure that the due process of law is is followed. But if you're not, I'm not saying that that doesn't happen, but then you can count on your consul or your consulate to help you in explaining you what's going on and also in assuring that the G process will be followed. How do we assure that? Well, if we find that that something is wrong, then we um, help them to know which is the procedure that they should follow. And the procedure is the one that is there by the U.S. Constitution and by the U.S. laws that are at your disposal, mm-hmm. as if you were an American citizen, for example.
1: And, you know, that that raises a, another um, issue, which is when, when you're talking about that legal assistance, then that is legal assistance provided to those Mexican nationals. But you mentioned that part of what the consulate does is to interact with the community. And that has mm-hmm. the benefit not just for Mexican nationals, but also Um, individuals of Mexican descent who may not be dual citizens, and also other people within the community. Can you talk a little bit more about the the community engagement that your office does?
2: Well, that's very important because uh, we provide many of our programs thanks to allies and to partners. And it has to be local allies and partners. Uh, Without uh, that engagement, we wouldn't be able to provide those services, uh, just because we have to cover a very wide territory, and we are basically here in in Raleigh, even though we travel a lot, so if we want to provide legal assistance in Charlotte, for example, then we sign agreements, MOUs, with local organizations. It's usually nonprofit organizations. We work a lot with universities with academic institutions because two of our uh, community programs, uh, the most important are related to education and to health. Mm -hmm. So in the case of education, we provide scholarships for students uh, born in Mexico or born here of Mexican descent that are in higher education. Uh, Whether it's a community college or it's a university, we, we provide those scholarships, but we also provide advice to the parents as how to um, navigate mm. sometimes the cumbersome <laughs> <laughs> uh, educational path, no? Uh, mainly financial, from the financial point of view. So, yeah, we provide that to either you were mor- born in Mexico or you were born here of Mexican descent.
0: Okay. Now, Mr. Garcia, you yes, are sir. a uh, graduating uh, law students at uh, North Carolina Central University School of Law. Yes, sir. And I've uh, gone through uh, three years of the rigor. <laughs> Definitely. Uh, and uh, you are a, uh, a product of uh, of Mexico. Uh, can you talk about your your life journey and how the uh, the, the presence of the uh, Mexican consulate here has been of uh, benefit uh, to you or not uh, as uh, you've gone through? <clears throat> Uh, the uh, educational process.
3: <laughs> yes, thank you, Professor Jordan. I appreciate you um, asking me that question. So my story, my parents immigrated to the United States when they were 17, um, a yeah, long, long time ago. And so uh, my sister was actually pregnant with, uh, I mean, I'm sorry, my mom was pregnant with my sister, and they, get, they got to the California. When they got to California, um, that's where I was born, and my little brother Kike was born as well. And then we moved to North Carolina when I was around the age of four. And so around that time, the immigration laws weren't as, as I'm not, well, they were lax, let's just say that. They were more lax than what they are now. And so at that point, you could, in North Carolina, you could get um, a driver's license with minimal information. And then the immigration laws started changing, things started ramping up. And so that's where the significance of this matricula came around because uh, my mom mom and dad got divorced. My dad went back to Mexico. And so my mom remarried with uh, my stepdad. And so they needed las matriculas, which is uh, these registrations. The yeah, mm-hmm. the IDs. And so my mom went to the uh, the consulate and got her passport and the matriculas. And that's when the talk started going around about um, these agreements with ICE and things started ramping up. And that's why she thought it was significant. And even in our communities, we were encouraging people to go to the consulate to get this identification. Because it's just like the general counsel said um, car accidents may happen. Uh, tragedies may happen, and there is no identification from the state because you need a social security card. You need a mm-hmm. birth certificate, so you can't have these identifications. So, for Mexican nationals, at least, you could go to the general, uh, uh, the consulate. And get this identification. Now, a sub alternative to that is you have local organizations like Centro Hispanos, you have Casa Guadalupe and things like that that have um, identification cards. They simply state the person's name, address, but they're not recognized by the North Carolina government as valid forms of identification. And so that's where we encourage people, you know, to, at least Mexican nationals, to go to the consulate and get these identifications because this really does help the process of identifying people in the event of tragedies.
2: But if I can interject, unfortunately in 2015, a law was passed here in North Carolina that doesn't recognize the matricula consular as a valid ID. Right. Yeah, that's right. But anyway, when I arrived in 2016, I continued asking the community to get the matricula just mm-hmm. because of the emergency contact.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is uh, the Legal Eagle Review, and uh, we are talking about the uh, uh, consulate, Mexican consulate here in, uh, in Raleigh. Uh, and I uh, want you to uh, stay with us. We're going to take a break uh right now and uh we will be right back so uh stay with us since
4: 2010 The North Carolina Central University School of Law has been at the forefront of virtual legal education with the launch of its Virtual Justice Project. The Virtual Justice Project is an innovation in legal education and technology. NCCU School of Law pioneered this approach to address the underrepresentation of African American lawyers and a lack of access to justice for low income and marginalized communities. Virtual pre law courses prepare students, wherever they are, for the rigor of law school. The Know Your Rights series offers legal information sessions that empower participants to understand the law and to promote self advocacy. Both the pre law courses and the legal information sessions are made possible through telepresence and high definition video conferencing. Course listings and contact information, along with more detail about the Virtual Justice Project, are on the NCCU Law website at law.nccu.edu.
0: Okay, we're back on the uh, legal, legal. We're talking with uh, the council general uh, Gomez of the Mexican consulate uh, here in uh, in Raleigh-Durham. Uh, she is now on her way to uh, San Francisco, uh, where she is going to be uh, council general uh, there. And we have uh, Joseph uh, Garcia, who is a third-year student uh, <laughs> a, uh, at the uh, North Carolina Central University School of Law, who will be uh, graduating in uh, in May. Uh, he yeah. hopes. Uh, so that he can go out now and, uh, and practice in the uh, legal uh, profession. Uh, we were talking about uh, the, uh, the, the role and the function of the uh, uh, consulate here in, uh, in, in, in Raleigh. I was corrected that there are 50 uh, consulates around the uh, country. Uh, I was I had in my research on 54, uh, but, you know, 50, 54 is pretty much the same thing that they are charged with the responsibility of protecting the rights of uh, of, of Mexican citizens who come into the uh, United States. And there is a a growing population uh, in North Carolina of uh, people from uh, of Mexico and uh, they you find them in all areas of uh of life uh, and their uh, offsprings are also uh, here. One of the uh, issues that obviously has come up of late, uh, and Mr. Garcia spoke to this uh, earlier, is the uh, tightening of uh, immigration concerns uh, in this country and a uh, changing attitude of people within this uh, this country about people migrating in mainly from uh, Mexico, although many of the people who migrate through Mexico are not necessarily Mexicans, uh, because there are a lot of people who come uh, through uh, Mexico. Uh, Talk about uh, the relationships uh, that exists between the United States and, and Mexico and how that has been changing in, uh, in, in recent years, and then uh, most importantly, what is the um, response of the Mexican government to this this changing atmosphere that mm-hmm. uh, we experience here in the United States?
2: Well, let me tell you, first of all, uh, what has been changing basically more than the relationship between Mexico and United States authorities, uh, we continue having a good relationship because we are aware, I think both governments, that there are many uh, interlinks between our communities and for business. So we are aware of that, and we don't want to spoil that. Uh, What has been uh, changing, and most of the people have not realized, is the migration itself of Mexicans to the United States. Actually, since 2000, it began reducing the numbers of people coming to the United States from Latin America and basically from Mexico. And after the economic recession here in 2007, 2008, definitely we saw the da- going down of people from Mexico coming here. So far that now um, there are uh, what we the, ex- the experts call the zero rate of migration. Which doesn't mean that Mexicans are not coming, but the same number of uh, people that are coming here from Mexico are the same number that are going back there. Mm -hmm. And actually, uh, this year, our foreign affairs minister, he already said uh, a few weeks ago that there are more uh, visas provided to Mexicans coming to work to the United States in different areas uh, than uh, Mexicans being sent back to Mexico. So the phenomenon has changed completely from what the average people knows about Mexican migration. And what has been growing recently is the children of Mexicans here. So far, that not necessarily here in North Carolina yet, uh, but uh, all over United States on average, uh, it's two thirds are born here, and only one third was born abroad. That's mm-hmm. what we can see of uh, the the migrants and their offspring. Um, having said so. Um, As to the relationship, uh, the new uh, president of Mexico who took office last December, he has stated very clearly that he wants to have a good relationship with uh, the United States. We are for uh, the uh, confirmation ratification of the NAFTA II or the USMCA, as it's called now. Uh, He wants to continue having um, a relationship good for businesses. And also he's very aware of helping the community, the Mexican community living here. So he has stated very clearly, we want to have a good relationship with the United States. And this new president has invited the uh, American administration to invest jointly with Mexico in the southern part of Mexico to promote development and also in Central America. Because the president of Mexico has said that we need to tackle the roots of the phenomenon, mm-hmm. if we don't want that the people have to move from their communities, and that actually he has said, I don't want that the Mexicans have to go anywhere. If they decide to go, it's up to them, but we don't want that they have to because of economic reasons, because of poverty, because of lack of opportunities. Mm-hmm. So he is completely devoted to uh, developing programs to help mainly young people to go to school. Uh, he has said that he will build 100 new universities all over the United States, but he's basically centered in the southern part of Mexico where unfortunately poverty has been uh, growing there uh, in the last years. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's his, his point of view. And he says, let's work together, United States and Mexico, in different areas. But one area is, let's invest jointly in Central America to precisely avoid mm-hmm. that the people that are leaving Central America have to come to Mexico and then come to the United States. But he doesn't want either Mexicans have, have to leave. Only if they decide, because that's what they think, it's okay, but not that they are out of need, have to come to the United States or anywhere else.
0: Now, you know, it's interesting, you you talked about uh, the uh, number of visas Mm -hmm. that are issued for uh, uh, Mexicans to come into the United States and that there is a steady increase in uh, those numbers, although in the public's eye, everybody who comes from Mexico are undocumented uh, for some reason. But the reality is significantly different than what the public perception is.
2: Well, it's changing, but let let me tell you how all began. Because the people say, oh, why is it that all all these Mexicans are here? Well, it all began during the Second World War when the United States government asked the Mexican government to provide with agricultural Mm -hmm. workers. So it was actually the United States calling Mexico, please send me because men were going to the war Mm -hmm. and women were going to the factories. So who will be taking care of your food? You know, Mm -hmm. basically, you Anyone can lose a war if they don't have food, you know? Mm-hmm. So they asked Mexico to provide agricultural workers. They came here. They came, they continued ca- coming even after the Second World War because both governments signed agreements for 22 years. Mm-hmm. So it went from 1942 to 1964. In 1964, the U.S. government said, thank you very much, we don't need Mexican workers anymore. Okay, and they, they stopped issuing visas. For those workers, but the workers already had been in contact with employers. Mm -hmm. What happens when you know someone that you've been going for 20 years, where both said, "Ah, "You just continue coming," and And they continue coming, but without visas? That's when the phenomenon of the massive undocumented people started to be an issue between both governments, Mm -hmm. and that continues to the present, but reality has been changing also. Demand. Because uh, the population in the United States and many developed countries, also in Mexico, but at a lower pace than here, is aging. Mm -hmm. So, if people are aging, who is gonna be the young blood to help? And it has to be immigrants for labor force in the, in the United States.
1: And that also kind of underscores this point that when people think about um, Mexican immigrants the the view is uh, oftentimes negative without understanding the benefits that flow current day from having individuals of uh, Mexican nationality or Mexican descent within within our country. Can you talk about the benefits that we as the United States get from having uh, Mexican nationals and Mexican descendants here yeah, in, the, of course. in this country?
2: I mean, we're contributing with the community of the United States to build your buildings, your houses, huh? And that allows you to have uh, more affordable housing, but also we contribute to beauty your cities. Uh, yeah, <laughs> cleaning the buildings, uh, doing the landscape, and um, we help. Uh, we continue helping in feeding the people, not only from here but also from other parts of the world. In the export of food, I mean, of uh, different things that are being grown here thanks to the hands of the Mexican migrants. So we are helping on, on all of that. So what I usually say to the people is that you are not just coming here to work, but you're coming here to build the future, to beauty the cities, and to bring positive things to the people. But not everyone realizes that. Sometimes not even the, the, the immigrants themselves, that right. they feel like they, they are being attacked. Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. And, you know, we also have to think about the tax base, right? They contribute to taxes. They contribute to uh, consumer, um, consumer consumerism. So we think about yes, the buying power. those two mm-hmm.
2: things are very important economic things because usually it's the idea that the undocumented people don't pay taxes. Well, right. We all have to pay taxes mm-hmm. when we go and buy anything, yep. you know? taxes added mm-hmm. for anyone. But also, uh, they have tax IDs, and they file the taxes every year, Uh, so they also pay those taxes. And There are estimates about the millions of dollars that they provide. Uh, They also have contributed to the Latino market as consumers, and that has helped many companies, some of them global companies, some other smaller and medium companies, to prosper because they have the Latino market consuming their products. And one thing, very important, we have contributed to enrich your gastronomy because now guacamole and salsas <laughs> and tacos, I think they're already part of the food and the diet in the United States.
0: Yes. Uh-huh. Mr. Garcia, can you talk about uh, your experience with the change in attitudes uh, uh, in the United States about uh, the presence of uh, Mexicans in, uh, in, in, in this country?
3: Yeah. um, And thank you for asking that question. And so um, I hate to be a little long winded, but the attitudes, you can see that there's been a variety and general counsel, like, you know, thank you for saying that because she's right. We do. And I say we, I mean, Mexicans, Mexican-Americans, Chicanos, uh, people of Mexican descent, we contribute significantly to this economy. But the attitudes have varied from go from the here the go back to your own country chants to build the wall and to having support um, to have people in favor of immigrant rights. And it varies across the board. Uh, my experience growing up, um, I was an American citizen, born in the United States and everything. But. I remember in, in elementary school, the kids that didn't understand me would pick on me. Would say things like "Go back to your own country," and like you know, you know, speak English. And I'm like, my parents can't speak that much English. What do you mean? I'm talking, I'm translating. And it at that time, I didn't understand what they meant by "Go back to your own country." Like I was born in California. What do you mean? <laughs> you want me to go back to? Like, <laughs> but, but I didn't understand what that meant until I started getting older. And um, I'll, I'll, I'll never forget. Um, I had learned about freedom of speech. Right. And one of my one of my teachers, I think it was in elementary school, uh, was telling us that you don't have to. If you firmly believe in something and it's your right to do something, you don't have to uh, stand up for the Pledge of Allegiance if you don't want to. Uh, I remember there was one time I didn't stand up for the Pledge of Allegiance because I remember that. Right. Um, I can't remember the teacher's name, but she said, I don't care what they do in your home country, but you respect my country and you stand up when we do the Pledge of Allegiance if you're going to be living here. Yeah, she said this. And I brushed it off. I didn't think about that until years later on down the road. Once you start reflecting on life and the attitudes that people have had towards you because of the color of your skin, I thought, man, this is these are the people that that I used to go to school with. Right. Fast forward to high school times Um I'm becoming more accepting of different people's opinions because I engage in conversations with them. I challenge their perspectives. Why is it that you think that way? Why is it that you believe such and such? And I got a variety of reasons. I've got my parents brought me up this way. Um, Such and such stole money from me. Um, This person was a really good hard worker. I believe in in the efforts of, of their background. And so... I tried to begin a dialogue with people that have varying attitudes and challenge them. Why is it that you think this way? But attacking the elephant in the room um, (laughs) with today's modern day society, it's their polar opposites. Either you're in support of immigrant rights and Latinos or you're against it and you're attending these rallies saying build the wall, build the wall. And every single time that I try to challenge someone about their thoughts and not even on an aggressive point, you know, just ask why is it that you think this way why do you feel this way that you do because they need to go back they've never contributed to the country blah 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 but again it's ignorance if you understand the 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 power of mexican people and mexican nationals that we have well again we i mean you know mexican descent the biggest thing that that they always go to is that they're coming in here stealing all our jobs uh they don't pay taxes First of all, let's get let's get one thing straight. All right. Latinos that are coming to the United States, um, they're doing some of the jobs that people don't want to do. You see, and that that's first and foremost. Other than that, they're hardworking individuals. Everybody in my family has been outside laborers doing construction, uh, landscaping, concrete, things of that nature. Hardworking individuals and everybody that's around them that knows them all have the same attitudes. Now, the second thing is, as the general counsel was saying, is the i cards, which is the individual taxpayer numbers. Latinos contribute a significant portion through uh, taxes because they still file taxes. They still pay taxes and they have to go through the regular process because the IRS is the one that gives these I-10 cards. And so the IRS is aware that people are foreign nationals because you have to submit your birth certificates or a passport Or some identification that shows you are this person and it has to show uh, your location or where you live at so the IRS is aware that these people are foreign nationals but yet they're still contributing to uh, the funds that go in now what I have seen is that sometimes they quote-unquote have this well we can't return some of your money we're gonna hold it because there's an issue with your number right so you only get part of your your money back and they'll hold it yeah Yeah, I've seen it happen. They'll hold part of your money and then they'll return it once you submit the proper social security number or proper identification. Hmm. This
2: is the refund
3: you're talking about? This this is the refund, yes. So in some cases that happens and others... Is that the
2: due process of law? That's not Mm -hmm. the due process
3: of law. (laughs) That's not.
1: Well, all right, we're going to have to take a break. You are listening to the Legal Eagle Review here on WNCU 90.7 FM. And we have been talking with the Consul General Gomez and Joseph Garcia, who is a third year law student, about the relationship between the United States and Mexico. Uh, We're going to take a quick break, but we hope you'll stay with us. We'll be right back.
4: The Center for Child and Family Health was founded in 1996 as a consortium of North Carolina Central University, Duke University, the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill, and the Durham community. Since that time, CCFH has become a national leader in research, training, and the treatment of childhood trauma. The mission of CCFH is to care for children and families affected by abuse, neglect, and other forms of trauma. Its professionals utilize a multidisciplinary, measurable approach to provide prevention services, treatment for children and families, professional training, and research related to childhood traumatic stress by uniquely integrating community-based practice and academic excellence. Its vision is that every child has the right to be loved, nurtured, and safe. As a center of excellence, CCFH strives to define the highest standards in the prevention and treatment of childhood trauma. In this way, stability and hope can be restored for children and their families. Information about the Center for Child and Family Health is at 919 419 Three four seven four, or the center's website at www.ccfhnc.org.
1: back. Thank you again for tuning in to the Legal Eagle Review here on WNCU 90.7 FM. I'm April Dawson and my co-host Irving Joyner and I have been talking with Consul General Gomez and third-year law student Joseph Garcia about Mexico and the United States. Um, So um, Consul General Gomez, I wanted to kind of shift gears a little bit. Uh, Mexico had a um, a landmark election last year. And as you know, we've had some election issues in the <laughs> United States. Uh, we've got elections coming up in 2020. And I wondered if you could kind of talk about the election that took place in Mexico and then give us your observations about uh, some of the difficulties that we're having in the United States.
2: Well, uh, as consul, I have to be very respectful of the uh, internal issues or domestic issues. So uh, I I would prefer not to talk about elections in the United States. Mm -hmm. I'm not allowed Mm -hmm. because of international law. Mm -hmm. Uh, I'm just an observant Mm -hmm. of what is happening, and that's it. Uh, Whether I approve or not approve, um, it's not up to me. Mm -hmm. It's up to the U.S. citizens. But I can talk definitely about the elections in Mexico. Uh, yes, you said it. Uh, it's been a landmark election, and the president himself he defines himself as the uh, the person that is uh, leading the fourth transformation of Mexico. What does he mean by that? He says that the first transformation was the independence war, then the second was the uh, uh, law uh, reform um, uh, in nineteenth century when the Mexican state separated from the church. Then the third was the Mexican Revolution. And then he says, now we are the fourth transformation of Mexico. His main issue is to fight directly corruption. He says that that's terrible, that corruption has to be uh, taken out of any type of businesses and negotiations in Mexico, that authorities should not get into corruption activities with Criminals or any other member of the community. So his main, his pillar is to combat corruption. And he says that uh, fighting corruption, he'll be able to finish the problem of violence in Mexico. He has stated several times that because authorities were corrupted by criminal people, that's what came, uh, um, that's what brought all the violence that we have in Mexico. Uh, so, he's fighting against that, but he's also at the same time asking the foreign businesses as well as the domestic businesses don't get into corruption activities. Mm-hmm. Now, we just had uh, last week a very important meeting of all the CEOs of Mexico and the United States. That's the CEO dialogue. It took place in the southern part of Mexico as part of what he's promoting development in the southern part of Mexico in Merida, in the state of Yucatan. And there, uh, the U.S. Secretary of Commerce Wilbur Ross was there, and he again said that. And it was very important because all the CEOs, uh, we had uh, the president of the U.S. American Chamber of Commerce, uh, also the president of the group that uh, gathers all the CEOs of Mexico, and an important uh, company from United States, BlackRock, was also like the, representing many companies, and that's what they said that they. Uh, We're welcoming investment in both countries by CEOs of both countries. Because another thing that few people know is that very big Mexican companies are investing in the United States, Mm -hmm. and they are creating jobs here in North Carolina and in South Carolina. It's uh, here in in North Carolina, it's at least 120,000 jobs that have been created by these Mexican companies investing here, and American companies are investing there because what are we doing we are engaging joint manufacturing mm-hmm. something that people that they have heard about trade but what is really happening is joint manufacturing so that's another issue another level but that's part of what he's doing inviting foreign investment inviting business people to continue doing business even doing more and um but he has in mind fighting corruption and he's telling please private sector uh don't get into corruption activities
0: right. let me let me just kind of switch uh gears just a little bit as well. Earlier, you talked about uh education mm-hmm. and the uh, efforts that you have been engaged in to encourage uh Mexicans to uh participate in the educational efforts here in the United States. Mr. Garcia is, uh, is a product of yeah. uh, of that. So can you take a couple of minutes and just talk about what it is that the uh, consulate has been doing uh, with respect to uh, promoting uh, the uh, utilization of uh, colleges and universities, uh, in particular, in the uh, United States for uh, Mexican citizens and their offsprings?
2: Yeah, yeah of course. We we have as a goal to help our community to better integrate into the society. It means, among other things, that they need to uh, continue educating so they can fit better into the society. What does it mean? They need to learn English, but we also tell them, don't forget Spanish, because it's better <laughs> that you're bilingual, you know? Yeah. That will open doors all over the world. Uh, so we encourage them to um, um, learn English. But also finishing their education in Mexico. So thanks to partners here, we offer for free online programs to finish their elementary or their secondary education in Mexico. And then the Mexican government also offers for free um, online programs to do your high school and even to study a profession. Not all the professions, but some professions. But also at the same time, we encourage them to make use of the community colleges and to go to the university. We encourage the parents to think of supporting their offspring that are born already here or they brought from Mexico to go to university. And that's why we just opened last year an office at at the consulate that is called the window of educational orientation, and then we provide in, uh, bilingually, in Spanish for parents and in English for students, the information of how to go to higher education. That's why, and it's being managed by a university, um, and the Mexican government provided a grant for that, so the people can attend that that window. And I'm happy that parents are feeling more confident of going into an office and then asking in Spanish, how could I support my children to go to the university? They can sit down there and have the information. So, yeah, education is basic for us. We've been helping, for example, to provide uh, certificates. We know that many of our people work in uh, kitchens. So last year, uh, thanks to a grant from the Mexican government, we provided courses, mini courses of two intensive days to get the uh, safe serve certificate to Mexicans working in kitchens. Mm-hmm. And that is a, a contribution to their whole society because then you have people working in the kitchen that have certificates, that mm-hmm. know how to handle better in a safer way the food that you're eating. Mm-hmm. And, and you can see Mexican people working in all types of restaurants, whether they are Japanese, Italian, French, whatever. Huh? Mm-hmm. They, they are not only working at Mexican kitchens. So we were with that. And we also offer for free English and Spanish. How does it? (laughs) Well, intensive uh, sessions uh, for people to learn how to do business in English, but with teachers explaining them in Spanish how to better read contracts Mm -hmm. and which are the main phrases that you need to know when you're dealing business. Because Mexican people, the immigrants, they are very uh, pro-entrepreneurial. they yeah. are very entrepreneurial, so they maybe they don't have documents, but they always think, oh, let's open up a, a restaurant, let's open a small company of cleaning or construction. Yeah. So we are helping them to learn which are the rules in North Carolina so they are better um, formed or better organized mm-hmm. as, a, as a
0: business. Mr. Garcia, you, you are a uh, product, a successful product, of, of that having uh, navigated through the educational uh, structure here in uh, in North Carolina. Uh, can you talk about your that that educational component and your your drive uh, that brought you into an HBCU for uh, for law school and now getting ready to go out into the uh, uh, legal profession?
3: <clears throat> yes. So. Um I, I, my family was not aware of those programs during the time when we were coming up. Um, I don't think they were even aware uh, that you could get a matricula or a passport. Mm-hmm. But had we known those uh, those resources, we would have definitely used them. <laughs> because <laughs> like, yeah. honestly. Um, and um, general counsel is, I might, uh, to the viewers, my face lit up when she said you could, uh, you could go in there and uh, they would explain to the children in English and parents in Spanish. Because growing up as, as a Chicano kid, you know, everything is Spanglish. Everything. Your parents, my parents speak to me in Spanish now. I respond in English. Uh-huh. And so I'm like, ma, ¿me end, it's like, no, hablo en inglés because like, I don't understand what you're saying in Spanish. I'm like, okay, fine. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, no, uh, the resources uh, that I used to get through college and community college, um, I had to apply for financial aid because I am an American citizen. But it was hard for me because I'm the first person in my family besides my older sister to go to college and into law school. And um, it was it was hard for me. I didn't know where to go. I didn't know where to navigate. I didn't really have an older person, uh, a legal service or networking of resources, I mm-hmm. could say, hey, let me sit you down. This is what FAFSA is. This is how you apply. This is family contribution. Let me explain to your parents. Because I would ask my mom, hey, mom, how big is our household? She was like, ah, mijo, no sé, que es un household. And I'm like, <laughs> you, know, yeah, exactly. and, you know, and, and I'm like, oh, okay, well, it says here the family contribution. mijo, I don't know what a family contribution is. I'm sorry. Uh-huh. And so I really wish that we would have had these services disposable to us because it definitely would have helped us out granted, by the time I got to East Carolina, um, I kind of had a hold on things of what I needed to do. But um, the reason I chose Central after getting out of law school, I mean, after getting out of undergrad, is because I had seen so many people that did not look like me going against people that looked like me in the justice system, in the legal profession, in the communities. Oppressive people were taking advantage of people that looked like everybody in this room. And I wanted to come to Central because I wanted to make a change. Every single attorney, all the people that I met throughout uh, college, they were all attorneys. All the people that were influential in my life. They were all amazing litigators. And the one thing that they were always saying is Central is a school about truth and advocacy. Truth and service is our motto. I wanted to come and be a part of that family so I could give back to those communities, the people that helped mentor me, and I could advocate for fellow Latinos in the country, in this United States, whether it's issues of bankruptcy, tax, criminal defense. That's why I chose Central, because not only do we advocate for oppressed people, underrepresented communities, we also teach you how to be humble, We teach you how to love and fight for equality, because injustice anywhere is injustice everywhere.
1: Mm-hmm. 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 Good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so... Um, Mr. Garcia, you were saying you weren't aware of of um, the resources that were, were made available. Um, Consul General, what, you know, you, you engage in community activity. How is the message getting out to the community of the services that, that are available? And, of course, when Mr. Garcia was, was coming up, that was not that long ago, but a little <laughs> bit. It was before, certainly, your tenure. Um, but what, if folks have... Other information that they want to get, or they want to be able to avail themselves of the resources that the consulate has available. What suggestions would you have for them?
2: Well, first of all, to look up into our webpage. I mean, there you can find all the services. But also, follow us uh, through Facebook and through tweets. Uh, we always announce what's the next big event. Uh, we will have a fair uh, in May fourth on a Saturday. We will have a fair for people to know what resources are available to go to college. And also there will be people from some companies showing them that if you go to a community college and you study this technical study, you later could work here, for example. So we are organizing that. But the only way to know is follow us on Facebook and our tweets or go up into our webpage. We also send that information make basically to the Hispanic media because we know that's where the people will look up. Uh, but that's, that's the way. I mean, just ask. Call the consulate. We are there for, the, for that. We are here for the people. That's the reason we are here. I always tell my team we are a service institution. The reason of us being here is the people. If they weren't here, we wouldn't be here. Or at least maybe there will be only one person, not the whole team that we have. And we have a mobile consulate and we have a consulate on wheels. But the reason is the people. Mm -hmm. So we just ask the people, find out, call us. Uh, I mean, all the the young students, they go online. Just go (laughs) online, find out what we have.
1: Yeah, mm-hmm. Well, social media certainly has made the information more available, and I know when you were applying for college, you know, I don't know yeah. hell, how big Twitter certainly was, um, or even Facebook at that time. So that, that's good to know. Mm-hmm. Um, Consul General, can you talk, you mentioned the uh, entrepreneurial spirit of Mexican nationals and those of, of Mexican descent. Can you talk a little bit more about the resources that your organization provides to encourage entrepreneurialism and why that's so important?
2: Yeah, well, let me tell you that when I arrived here, I said, what is it that North Carolina is offering to the Latinos that are entrepreneurs or want to become entrepreneurs? So I went to the North Carolina Economic Development Partnership. I asked them, do you have workshops? They said, yes, sir. They said, yes. And I said, do you have them in Spanish? No. I said, why don't we partner together to do that in Spanish? Well, maybe. Let's do it. So we planned for 2017 to have four workshops. Well, it was so successful in different parts of North Carolina. We ended up having nine or 10. Then we decided to do it again in 2019, and then the Mexican government provided funds to continue that. Uh, and we went up down to South Carolina because they don't have those opportunities either. And this year, the Mexican government is again providing funds to continue with that. Because we know, you know, in order to be entrepreneur, you need to be someone that dares to do things, Mm -hmm. no matter what. And an immigrant is someone with the courage. I mean, you need to have courage to go to another country. Mm
0: -hmm.
2: No? Uh, It's not easy. And a, a country that has a different culture, a different language. And if you don't have papers, even more courage, you know? So you have the courage. You usually also have the courage to open a business and self-employed. And that's why we are engaged in offering those workshops for uh, not only Mexicans. It's open to any Latino because it's offering in, in Spanish so they know how to better run their business if they already have one or if they want to open one, they know which are the rules that they need to follow or they obey in order to have a good standing business. Mm. And I can imagine that the more entrepreneurs that you
1: have, entrepreneurs that you have, uh, it opens up more job opportunities within the community
2: for other people. Right? Yeah, yeah. I've interviewed Mexican entrepreneurs that they've told me, "Look, I'm employing American citizens." Mm-hmm. You know, but you know what? Also through our uh, workshops they found out a resource that can uh, give them loans Mm -hmm. because it's not easy. Mm -hmm. That they go to financial institutions and not necessarily, if you're Latino or you don't have all the papers that they require, that you uh, can have access to a loan. So that's a key also for the expansion of a business, to have access of a loan and through our workshops, they could find those resources.
0: That's uh, great information and uh, outstanding Advocacy and the, uh, you know, it's important that people understand what the history is Mm -hmm. and what the facts are. Mm -hmm. Uh, And unfortunately, we have been uh, the uh, uh, in a position that we've we've gotten the demonizing side uh, of things, where people are uh, speaking half truths uh, for uh, political uh, purposes, and that's why we are so thankful. That you would come to share with us and our audience uh, this evening about uh, the work of the uh, of the consulate here. and oh, thank uh, you for that opportunity. Yeah. I, I thank you. Yeah, and and we and, and and it's open uh, for you to come back uh, again. And we are certainly uh, thankful for uh, Mr. Garcia, uh, who has uh, contributed uh, three years of uh, his life uh, to making our institution a much better. Place a, 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 an institution that better understands the relationship between uh, the USA and, and Mexico. He's been in uh, a number of, uh, of my classes, and we've talked about uh, these relationships uh, over the years. So we want to uh, thank uh, all of you for joining with us. Thank you. thank thank
2: all of you. And I, I would like I would like to say one more thing: that few people know that the third route of Mexican people is African people, Afro-Mexicans, mainly in the area of Guerrero, Guerrero. where your parents come from, the area of Oaxaca, and the area of Veracruz. That's the third route. And unfortunately, I'm already living to other places, but (laughs) one of my plans for this year culturally was to bring that information to the people that the third route of Mexicanity, Mexicanidad, Mm. it comes from African people that were living in in Mexico when it was from the colony, uh, Mm -hmm. when we were part of the Spanish empire. Mm -hmm. Uh, But then what happened is that there was such a mix that it's difficult to trace down. But very important people have African origin, Mm -hmm. uh, like presidents uh, in Mexico. The first president actually, he was of African descent, and other more modern presidents also. So that's an important part that Mm -hmm. I would like that everybody Mm -hmm. knows.
0: And, in mm-hmm. fact, we had a uh, class where exactly that information <laughs> was provided. and people oh really? People were, sh- were shocked. Ah. They, they were yeah. shocked. They didn't know. They mm-hmm. didn't know about oh. the, uh, the Who, who gives that
2: class? We should be touched <laughs> <about> <laughs> on. Yeah. Cecilia. We, we, we who, who, who teaches that? I teach. Professor. You teach that? Yes. Teach <laughs> that. Oh, well. <laughs> let's let us. Let's do something with you. I mean, let's tell my... my, (laughs) Yeah, let's (laughs) tell my successor. Uh All right. Well, that sets us up for
1: another show in the future. Mm -hmm. So um, thank you so much, Consul General Gomez. We're taking time out of your schedule, and, and we're, we're sorry to, to see you go. San Francisco is very lucky to have you. But the next time you're in the state, um, please let us know. We'd love to have you back on. Yeah, of, thank you. Of course, uh, Joseph Garcia, we are so incredibly proud of you. Thank you. About to graduate, one foot out the door. Um, we'll be sitting for the bar exam, and we'll be doing great, no doubt. And, and I'm sure we will have you as a guest on the show again as well. And for you, our listening audience, thank you, as always for spending your Sunday evening with us if you have any questions or comments about the show please send us an email you can reach us at LegalEagleReview at nccu.edu and don't forget to follow us on Twitter Facebook and Instagram until next week stay informed and engaged